on Easter Sunday morning, it's easy to jump straight to the resurrection. But that's not how the day started. And so this morning, I'd like us to enter the story where it starts on that first day of the week. In the midst of the despair the disciples are feeling. So that we can experience afresh what the news of the resurrection meant for them. And perhaps experience afresh what the news of the resurrection might mean for us in the midst of this ongoing pandemic, in the midst of this very difficult year that seems to never end, in the midst of this very difficult 49 years that seems to never end. So let's start toward the tomb with Mary. It's early on the first day of the week. The dawn has not yet broken There is nothing but utter darkness. And the darkness without matches the darkness within. Just two days before, Jesus, their beloved friend, teacher, had been crucified in a public lynching display of shaming humiliation and horrific suffering and death. It had been gut-wrenching to watch, even from afar. And they can't get that image out of their heads. There had been no time to properly mourn or bury Jesus. They had to take him down quickly from the cross and place him quickly in a tomb donated by Joseph of Arimathea because they had to bury him before sunset, before the Passover started. Things could not have been worse. The one they had put all their hopes and dreams in had been brutally crucified. The one whose message was a message of welcome for all had been publicly dismantled for all to see by the religious authorities with the full weight and support of the Roman Empire. They are devastated. They are overwhelmed with grief. They are afraid for their lives. And they can't imagine a future that holds any possibility for hope. All they know is grief, doubt, despair, confusion, disorientation, and at moments, absolute panic. They find themselves in a place not unlike the place we actually find ourselves in this morning. 173 years of faithful witness, service, leadership in the United Methodist Church and still no welcome. A deadly pandemic has upended our lives. We have lost loved ones, and like the disciples, we haven't been able to bury them properly or mourn as we long to. We've lost jobs and income, businesses, our way of life. Our ability to gather in safety has been stripped from us by a deadly virus, and we are still its captive. 
We worked really hard over the last year. We got the vote out and we elected new leadership that brings hope. And yet we watch in horror on the nightly news as voting rights are being stripped away state by state, as LGBTQ rights are being stripped away state by state. Gun violence is escalating. Atlanta, Boulder, Virginia Beach, and yet no effective bipartisan support for gun control. We had an attempted insurrection in the Capitol, and yet there has been no appropriate response by those in government leadership to hold accountable those who instigated and implemented that insurrection. Racism is still running rampant, even though there were massive protests over the last year after the death of George Floyd and others. Is this ever going to end? Will we ever wake up from this nightmare? The disciples were asking themselves those same questions. And if we're honest, we're asking with them this morning, God, where are you? Where were you? Where have you been? Why did you abandon Jesus? Why have you abandoned us? Is there a future with promise? Let's pray. God, we quickly announce that Christ is alive on Easter Sunday morning. But rarely let that sink into our souls at a level that can transform the violence, the fear, the pain, the grief, the uncertainty in which we actually find ourselves. God, if we're honest, there are moments when we wonder if the resurrection is true. When we wonder, even if it's true, what difference does it make? And so God, we like the early disciples, need you to appear to us this morning in a way that we can recognize you, in a way that the scales can fall off of our eyes and our ears, and we can encounter you anew and know that none of this can define us, that we belong to you, that you have called us into this very place to be light and hope and life, and that's the good news of the gospel. You are alive and because you live, we also live even in the midst of suffering and death and loss. So speak to us this morning so that we can hear you. For we ask it in the name of our risen Savior. Amen. Jesus was their teacher, their friend, their champion. <laughs> He's the one who crossed boundaries of separation and oppression that had been imposed by the political and religious authorities. He's the one who came to give them full access to God in the midst of economic, social, religious, and political systems that labeled them unclean, unworthy, unacceptable, 
incompatible, unwanted. He is the one who embodied their hopes for a different future. A future in which the categories of separation like gender identity and sexual orientation, male and female, were irrelevant to one's acceptability to God. A future in which the categories of religious affiliation, of whether or not one could keep the religious laws of purity, privilege, applied, Samaritan, Mexican, Muslim, Jew, Greek, None of that was relevant. A future in which the categories of economic and social status, documented, undocumented, slave or free, were irrelevant. By his life, his actions, his words, he proclaimed the good news that none of that had anything to do with who we are before God. And whether or not we are acceptable to God. Instead, he came to open the table, to invite us all to take our seats as beloved, worthy children of God in all of our dignity and goodness in all of our identity. But that one who embodied that future is dead. The forces of empire, of oppression, Religious, political, economic, social have all conspired and won a resounding victory. Jesus is dead and his message with him. It's over. That's where the disciples find themselves on that Easter Sunday morning. That's where many of us have found ourselves in this past year, and maybe even this morning. John's Gospel tells us that Mary alone goes to the tomb. It's dark. She's one brave woman. It was dangerous for a woman to be out at night. It still is. But it was more dangerous for her to go during the day because Jesus has just been executed as a political and religious dissident. And the religious and political authorities are hunting for his followers because they want to put a stop to this once and for all. But Mary goes driven by her grief. There's nothing she can do to fix this. But her love compels her. She just wants to be near the tomb, hoping it might assuage her grief. John's gospel tells us that she takes nothing with us because in John's gospel, Nicodemus And Joseph of Arimathea have already anointed the body with spices before it was placed in the tomb. She's going just to grieve. When she gets there, she finds the stone rolled away. Now, this is a massive stone. It took strong men, many of them, to roll that thing in place. And now it's been moved, and she sees that the body is gone. Just when things couldn't get any worse, they do. Under Jewish law, to leave a body unburied had eternal consequences. And so Jewish law is very strict. Jews were not to leave any body unburied, even the bodies of their enemies, so as not to risk eternal condemnation. 
And now the body of Jesus is gone. She has to find it. And so she runs to find Peter and John. Maybe they can help her. Maybe if they come look with her, they can find a clue. And so they come as well, running. They enter and see. And John's gospel tells us that they believe. But what is it they believe? They don't understand the resurrection. They believe what Mary just told them. The body's gone. They aren't thinking resurrection. They, like Mary, are locked in this narrative of despair. They are locked in their grasp on the past. They are locked in this perception that the future has to be the way they planned it to be. And that's all gone. They're looking for a body. John and Peter go back home. There's nothing they can do. But Mary stays in her grief. And as she peers into the tomb again, she sees two angels. Now, girls, I'm just going to give us this one because she sees the angels and the guys don't. I'm just saying. (laughs) But even then, there are two angels sitting there. Mary doesn't even stop to think, wait a minute, maybe something different is going on here. No, she is locked in this narrative of hopelessness, defined by her limited vision of what is possible, of what God wants to do. And so when the angels ask her why she's crying, she says, I'm looking for his body. Can you tell me where it is? And then she turns and she's still looking for a body. When she encounters Jesus, the resurrected Christ standing right in front of her and she doesn't recognize him. Now, before we're too harsh on Mary, I wonder how many times have we had a divine encounter that we missed because we were locked in a narrative that said the past was the only thing that mattered. The future had to be the way we planned it. And we don't see God standing in front of us with an open door, a possibility for resurrection, a possibility for a future that we never imagined if we'll let the past go and if we'll stop trying to find the future our way instead of God's. She doesn't recognize him. It's not until Jesus calls her name, Mary, that the scales fall from her eyes, from her ears, from her heart, and she sees for the first time that God is creating a whole new future beyond anything any of them could have imagined. And she lets go of the past. She lets go of her need to define the future. And she is never the same. She knows herself loved and defined by God for the first time. And all the other things, the labels, the systems, all of it that used to define her fall away. She may not understand all that it means, but she knows she is loved and defined by God. And nothing will ever be the same. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what's got you stuck. Some of us are stuck in the past. Just got to get back to that. Some of us are stuck in a definition of the future that we've decided has to be, to be good. Some of us are stuck in deep grief. Some of us are stuck in fear. 
loss, confusion, all very real. But on this Easter Sunday morning, God in the resurrected Christ is standing right in front of us, calling our name, saying, let go, surrender all of it, I'm here I have defeated death and suffering, and because I'm alive, you live. None of those definitions matter anymore. It only matters what I say. And I say you are loved. You are celebrated. You are God's wonderful creation. And so God is calling us this morning to let go be open to God's future in the midst of all that seeks to define us. Because Christ took it all on himself. He jumped into the very pit of hell with and for us and has come out the other side victorious with healing in his wings, proclaiming the good news of eternal life for all, even the kingdom of God, and is calling us to take our seats at God's family table as beloved, celebrated children, calling us to claim our identity as joint heirs with Christ. For Christ is indeed King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, and we with him in glory. Thanks be to God. Amen.